Hi, this is Reverend Jack Alvey with my friend and co-host, the Reverend Josiah Rangers with This Anglican Life. A moderate voice for contentious times. Today, Lord Sabbath is his name. Jack, it's a pleasure to be back with you this week. This is uh, the week of Sunday, August uh, the 26th, and today we're going to talk about one um, of No, the 25th is Sunday. Oh yeah, the 25th. Listen, who cares? It's one of the best uh, passages in the New Testament that we're going to be talking about on the 25th, and you're still going to be talking about it on the 26th there you go. when you go to work the next day. Um, Jack, tell us about the story. Uh, today we, we meet Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's and a big deal that it's on the Sabbath. He finds there a woman who has been hunched over, uh, possessed possessed by Satan for 18 years. And she's been sitting on the back row for 18 years and no one has noticed her or they've given up on trying to figure out what was wrong with her. But Jesus sees her. I wouldn't say possessed by Satan, but it does say crippled by a spirit. And um, and she's obviously been suffering for a long time. And uh, so she's hanging out and Jesus walks by and sees her and lays hands on this woman and, and says before you know, he lays hands on her he sees her and says be made well and then he lays hands on her and what does she do she's healed she stands up straight and praises god and she gives thanks to god and so obviously the religious leaders then would like also give thanks to god at this miracle that happened in front of them obviously the Not religious leaders so fast what happens jack the synagogue leader is, for whatever reason, threatened by Jesus' miracle, this act of healing. And he goes on to criticize Jesus for doing work on the Sabbath. Jack, do you, Jesus, ever, do you ever do work on the Sabbath? All the time. Yeah, why's that? I've been pulling up stumps in my backyard. <laughs> you know, is that a Sabbath exercise for you? Um, maybe, maybe if people were professional stump pullers then on their sabbath going to church would be a relaxing hobby but maybe going to church is your everyday work so pulling out a stump is well is the sabbath on sunday or saturday i don't know is it the day of the week or a state of mind that's a great question so we're going to answer all these and more in the in the in the minutes to come right now <laughs> you know there's so many interesting things about this first of all in you know in this scripture it says you know they go away and they're ashamed but like well, we, in the we Matthew, didn't, in the we didn't Matthew, get to that part. So, so, so the uh, so the, the the synagogue leader criticizes Jesus. Then Jesus says, for the second week in a row, "You hypocrites! You let your oxen go have a drink of water, and you're saying that I can't heal this woman on the Sabbath." And then some were put to shame, and others went away rejoicing. Some were put to shame. Others go away rejoicing there's a similar story in the gospel of matthew similar story where there's a man with a crippled hand on the sabbath and jesus heals the man and again they kind of get into this back and forth with the um with the synagogue leaders and in that one it says they go away and begin plotting against jesus and really you have this idea that this is one of those turning points in jesus ministry where they're like tolerating him tolerating him they think he's kind of nuts but something shifts. You know, all of a sudden, here's this man who's been 
preaching and teaching in the synagogue who's now breaking the law. Breaking the law that, like, seems important. Like, that, you know, thou shalt not do any work on the Sabbath. It seems like, you know, a, a big deal kind of law. And we should say that, like, the Pharisees at the time had broken it down where it wasn't just you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. It was a very big part of society. And they had, you know, dozens of smaller laws under that to define what that looked like even today. Even today, you know, it's a really big part of the Jewish faith is not, is resting on the Sabbath. And it depends, of course, on kind of your denomination. It depends on the congregation and on the family and individual. But, you know, there are places where, like, for instance, you go to Israel, you get on an elevator on the Sabbath, and you don't have to push any buttons. The elevators just stop at every floor. So you don't have to push a button because pushing a button is work. Wow. Right? And you shouldn't work on Sabbath. Well, you know, there are actually two different um, sources in the scriptures on what the Sabbath means. Like, why Sabbath? And the two times when the Ten Commandments are read, they have the, the, the reason behind the Sabbath is different. One is to rest, not work, to honor when the Lord rested on the seventh day of creation. And the other is to celebrate the Israelites' um, freedom from the Egyptians. Freedom so from one, the oppression of work. From, from the oppression of work. And so one is very much focused on rest, whereas the other one is very much focused on sort of a celebration from oppression. Celebration f from having to work um, and that you have this day where you don't have to work where you can it's a gift to say God will provide even if you don't work on this day God will still provide and Christians love to make an excuse on why it's okay to work on a Sabbath let's say your Sabbath is on Saturday or on Sunday um, people love to like kind of blow past this one but it is in the top 10 it isn't like the top 10 laws that like God gives us you know you should love the Lord your God. You should not murder. You should, um, you know, not covet your neighbor's donkey. And you should observe the Sabbath. It's a big deal. And I think we could do a better job preaching on this and teaching on this and modeling this maybe in our own lives, not pulling out stumps in your backyard. <laughs> but maybe we can model that it is a big deal. And it's not just a big deal because God wants us to lay around. One, because our bodies, our souls need rest. It's important for us to have time to play. We know psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, we need to take those times. But also it gives us a chance to connect with God. And there's a lot of healing in that. However, at this instance, in this story, the synagogue leaders seem to be wrong. They come out and they say, Jesus, you've done this thing that is work. You've broken the law. And for this, you know, according to at least Matthew, for this, they're going to begin plotting to have Jesus arrested and killed. Here's a man teaching that it's okay to break our laws. And, it, and if you look at, I mean, if you look at this through the lens of the, um, the Deuteronomy, you know, in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are said within the context of liberation, freedom from oppression. So if you look at it from that context, Jesus is actually the one observing the Sabbath because he has liberated this woman from her suffering. And that's why he says, you hypocrites, right? Yeah. In another passage, he says, you know, you understand God's justice, but you fail to understand God's mercy. So you have used your piety, your religiosity mm. to really create oppression for somebody. Absolutely. You know, 
I mean, I think there's this really interesting narrative through the Old Testament, especially, of what happens when the oppressed become the oppressor. Mm. When God is railing against the Israelites, look, you understand what it's like to have been oppressed, so now that doesn't give you a right to become the ones oppressing others as you move into this land and take this land. That doesn't give you a right to then enslave others or or harass others or demean others even. And um, so Jesus kind of turns this around and he says, you, you fail to understand the larger concept of God, what is God's mercy. And here's a woman who isn't intending to be the center of the conversation. She's just a woman who's been suffering, suffering deeply. And I think like at the end of the day, I think one, we can connect as religious people with with religious leaders who might could lead people into oppression through teaching. But I think we also, everybody, we all together understand uh, what it means to suffer and what that means to really suffer deeply. So let's talk about both of those, but start with like, what does it mean um, for piety to cause oppression in someone else's life? Yeah, I mean, obviously sometimes our our religious uh, observances can get in the way of administering justice and peace. I mean, something that comes straight to my head is, and us, this is a sort of a complicated example, but it, one being is you, sometimes you'll have people come to church on Sunday and they're, um, they're visiting for whatever reason, um, and then they stop you either right before the service or right after the service and ask you for help because they need money for food or their um you know apartment or whatever and you know nine times out of ten i'll i'm tempted to say well i'm busy (laughs) Uh, i have worship services to conduct but that's just one you know small way in which um piety can get in the way of truly doing uh god's work i mean i think on an even broader scale it kind of devolves into politics when we let politicians when we elect politicians who try to pass or who do pass laws based on kind of their religious conviction, laws that could affect people due to their um, gender or sexuality or their belief system, you know, that we can create some discrimination and say, well, I believe, you know, I believe this, and if you don't believe the same as me, it's going to have a a negative impact on your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sort of flip it around. You know, you you think about the Sabbath and you think about oppression and that sort of thing. You know, our economic system pretty much dictates that unless you're wealthy or have a good job, you're going to have to work on the Sabbath because everything is open. Yeah. You have to work. You can't take a day off. If you take a day off, you're going to miss your next month's rent. And if you miss your next month's rent, you're going to miss the next month's rent. And then two months later, you're going to have the sheriff come to you and you're going to be evicted. So, you know, on on the other side of the coin, you know, our culture... Our cultural practices, um, which is another form of religion, um, prevents certain people, especially the poor and the marginalized, from having the opportunity to observe the Sabbath. There are, you know, a lot of people who have to work on Sunday. I mean, I think a good question for us is when we're, when we're talking about theology and talking about our religious beliefs, I think a good litmus test is, does it cause anyone else to be oppressed? Yeah. Does it restrict anybody else's freedom? Jesus said, I've come to set the prisoners free and to mm-hmm. you know, let the captives go. Uh, and to say, if does my belief system, if I put this on someone else, does that restrict their freedom? Absolutely. 
And uh, and ultimately, we think like Christ came to give us, to lead all of us, to lead all peoples into a more abundant, more free life. So are you saying that God's, the law, is restricts or grants freedom? I think, see, it's complicated, isn't it? But if I said... Because you said, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Is that a restriction or is that a freedom? You know, it's a question of... Uh, it, it's a question on a sliding scale. Like we were talking about suffering. Like what is suffering? You know, is it when you is it suffering when you stub your toe in the middle of the night on like the bookcase? Is that suffering? Is it suffering when you're diagnosed with cancer? Is it is it suffering when someone you love desperately has died tragically? Is it suffering when you live in a war zone and like you're born and raised in a war zone, like you're in the middle of Syria right now and there's a civil war going on? You know, what is suffering and what are the scales of suffering? And I think, I heard this wonderful psychologist say um, that suffering just is. That there's no uh, increase or decrease. That, you know, you stub your toe and you're in pain at that moment. You're suffering the loss of someone who's died. That still, you know, one is acute suffering and goes away quickly. But suffering is suffering and pain is pain. And, um, and I think as humans, across generations, through time and space, we, we understand what suffering viscerally because we experience pain. Big pain, little pain, extended pain. Um, we experience pain. And so this question comes up in the church all the time. You know, does God cause pain? Or why does God allow pain? Or why does God allow, why does a good and loving God allow suffering in the world? And this is one of the big questions that we engage with constantly as Christians. I don't know if we're always answering the question, but I think we're engaging with it. Because there is suffering, and then there is this God who said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to live for you, to die for you, to come back for you. And yet there's still some suffering. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I mean, if you look at this, you know, in, in, in one way or another, every uh, scripture passage or church nerds like Josiah like to say every pericope um, don't try it in word it'll think you're trying to sell, spell periscope oh yeah but anyway um, every scripture is a microcosm of the big story and so for me the, the, this the thread that this individual story is drawing throughout all of scripture is that there is suffering in the world it's not explained or it, it is but very you know, very briefly, but the emphasis is on the liberation or the freedom from that suffering. And so that's, that's what the ministry of God in Christ is all about. It's all about alleviating the world, alleviating us and the world from suffering. It's all about freedom from suffering, which goes back and, you know, the, the lens by which I've come to that conclusion is by saying, why Sabbath? Well, in this particular passage, it's about freedom the, the freedom of Israel gained from oppression and suffering in Egypt. Well, here's something I think that we should articulate. The Bible's view of suffering and our description of suffering is vastly different. We talk about suffering as loss, as hurt, or even as bodily pain. But the Bible doesn't refer to that as suffering. The Bible refers to suffering as being outside a relationship with God. That's the greatest suffering of the world. The greatest... 
uh, suffering is to not be in relationship. So God creates the world good, and he's in relationship in the garden with his people. And then the greatest moment of suffering happens, there's this, this divorce, this splitting from God and humanity. And now there's this divide, this sin that's engaged in the world. And in that sin, that leads to certainly like sin one against another, where people fighting, people causing harm to each other, people hurting each other. But there's also the brokenness of our reality, the brokenness of our world, a world where there are tornadoes and hurricanes and cancers. And, you know, it's kind of on both fronts. But from the biblical view, the greatest of all suffering is being separated from God. And the greatest joy, you know, of all that can be imagined, the greatest joy is being reunited to God, is being reestablished in that relationship with God. And Jesus says, like, look, even if you follow me, like, I can reconcile you to God. You might still have suffering, but you'll be reconciled to God, which is the greatest gift, which is like our goal in all things. So you see the first community of Christians, you know, Paul's writing to the people, you know, last week he's saying, like, look, people are being imprisoned. People are being uh, sawn in half. People are being tortured. Yeah. And all of that is meaningless compared to the beauty and grace of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of something that says, bidden or not bidden, God is here. Bidden or not bidden, God is here. You know, you, I don't think you meant to say it like this, but you talked about our goal is reconciliation. Yes, that might be our goal, but that is a goal that we cannot achieve. Bidden or not bidden, God is here. That goal is achieved because even when we can't see the way to reconciliation, even when we can't find the way to um, communion with God, um, God literally meets us where we are. When we, when, God, when we don't see God, God literally comes and finds us. And that's what happens, again, the microcosm of our story is this woman didn't see Jesus. She didn't seek out Jesus. She was going to the synagogue because that's what you do, right? And Jesus found her there. And he doesn't have to find you in church. Jesus finds us anywhere. So, <clears throat> the, you know, the you know the, the thing about suffering is not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily that God that we are somehow separated from God. It is the it is our conviction that we are somehow separated from God. There's the belief that we are separated from God. And so, what Jesus is doing here is reconciling that belief to say. Even when you're in great pain, even when you're suffering as you are, I am with you. I'm, I'm with you I'm, in that pain. I am in that pain, struggling with you. And, um, and I'm still drawing you, and like I can draw you back into the very heart of God. Yeah. And so, is Jesus right to heal this woman? Of course. Is Jesus right to defy the man-made laws of the religious leaders? Of course. Should we also observe the, the Sabbath? Of course, because in our own observation of the Sabbath, that does help us take time to see God moving in our lives. I, yeah, I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about, you know, um, just, you know, how we perceived God um, active uh, in our lives. And there was this sort of thought process that there are certain things that I need to do in order to get closer to God. And, as, you know, that's sort of a myth that we peddle in the church and, you know, come to church more and get closer to God, that, that sort of thing. For me, worship and spiritual disciplines in the Sabbath don't in and of themselves draw us closer to God. But what they do is they make room in our hearts and our minds and our souls to see God 
when God does draw close to us. Exactly. It, we, we practice it so that at those times we'll be ready when we have those experiences of God. They're, they're big moments. And so um, I'd say, Jack, we'd both encourage everybody to observe the Sabbath. <laughs> we, I would encourage everybody as, a, as your priest and as a preacher that it's important to take time to take time intentionally and more time. It's not, I'm going to take time and unplug my phone for an hour. It's like, let's take a day. Let's take an excessive amount of time to really unplug and unwind. And the Sabbath isn't just, oh, I'm going to just go and watch football all day and sit on the couch. It's more than that. It's I'm going to unplug to allow time for God in my life, mm. to allow for a broader experience. You know, maybe, you know what you're also not going to do on the Sabbath? What's that? Go to Chick-fil-A. Got a Chick Fil A, yeah. Because they close, because they close down on the Sabbath. So good for them as retailers. I have a love hate relationship with that fact. <laughs> but also, Jack, I, I think it's important for us to also walk in humility. It's the religious leaders who put Jesus to death for b- breaking their man-made laws, and I think it's easy for us to say, "Oh, if you want to be a good person, a Christian, do as I do, follow me." And Jesus has some strong words. For, for those false teachings and those false teachers. So to walk with humility and say, you know, that we want that we want to follow Christ and we want to do it in a way that is liberating and freeing to all people that we can all walk with together. Yeah, and I, you know, in terms of the, the Sabbath and the idea of Sabbath and rest and renewal and, and, that, and that sort of thing, um, the... You know, people will say, well, I don't have time. I have too much work to do, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, the gut reaction is, well, I need to start doing less. I need to take things off my schedule. I don't need to do X, Y, and Z. Well, that's not completely a bad idea. What you should probably do first is commit to Sabbath time, to rest, be renewed. And then you might have more energy. You might have more inspiration to do all the things that you want to do. But if you're going zero to 60 all the time, you're you going to run out of gas. And, you're, and, and the things that you want to do, you're not going to be fully present. Uh, you know, your, your energy is going to be lacking. But that, that, you know, that Sabbath allows for that recharge where you realize that the energy you have is not really your energy. It's the energy of the Spirit flowing through you. And that's where true strength comes from. That's where true power comes from. Not by our sheer will, but by the Spirit moving and working in us. And that's what the Sabbath is is all about, um, harnessing that energy again. Amen. I don't think we could have said any better. Jack, I thank you for being with me today on the podcast, and I thank all of you for listening. And as always, we're sponsored by The Abbey on 41st Street in Avondale. Stop by for some worship and celebration. And if you're if you're able, we hope to see a church at Ascension, the Episcopal Church of the Ascension, and St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. But most importantly, come to St. Thomas. And Ascension. What time do y'all worship? But mostly St. Thomas. 8.15, 10.30, and 5 p.m. on Sundays. All right. So we have 7.30 and 8. Yeah, excuse me, 7.30 and 10. Great. We'll see you there. Come on by. God bless you.